0: Okay, um, thank you. Now, um, what, what I want to start with is just to, to go over briefly on the, on the first page what the nature of apocalyptic literature is, because the book of Revelation is that. And, uh, and I want to start by, by placing it, as, as I've, I've sort of given you this summary before, but I want to really focus on it today. Um, there are two major books in the Bible that are called apocalyptic literature. Uh, and apocalypse simple, simply means revelation or disclosure. But um, the Old Testament book is Daniel, and the New Testament book is Revelation. And basically the book of Daniel has stories of heroic youth, Jewish youth, who survived persecution. Daniel in the lion's den. And then Shadrach, Mishnach, and Abednego uh, in in the fiery furnace. It also has the vision of chapter seven of the Son of Man coming from heaven as the Redeemer to to make all things right. And and in those three factors, it, it is important. It, it has important similarities with with Revelation. Um, it's important to know that in Christianity uh, today, worldwide, um, there um, there are popular understandings of apocalyptic literature that are different from what I'm going to give you, as I've said before, and I always want to say that that all I can do is sort of give you my best understanding from my training and just just my own faith, um, and. And I may be wrong, but I'm going to give you my best and trust trust it to God and to your own uh, reading and sense of faith uh, that, that that it will be helpful. But in the 1970s, uh, um, there was a very multi-million bestseller book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and then in the 1990s and 2000s, The Late Great Planet Earth. These books sell gazillions of copies. And are the predominant way that Christians worldwide receive this literature. I mean, they outnumber us infinitesimally. I mean, it's, you know, it's just off the charts. And what happens is what has happened is that in mainline churches, um, over the years, we just sort of don't talk about this literature much. And so we ceded S our C E D E to the sort of televangelists and TV preachers and the more popular presentations of this literature. Um, The popular presentation, which is is not the one I'm going to present, basically takes all of the symbolism um, of, of a book like Revelation and tries to predict when Christ will return, when the world will end and Christ will return. And that is often through trying to decode the symbolic language in the book and to try to equate it with recent or current events in the Middle East relative to to the people of Israel. Um, It It is also used. I mean the purpose of this literature in, in the popular mind is to is to use often through the elements of fear and judgment that are in this literature to try to persuade people to become Christian so that they will not be left behind, so that they will be part of the elect who participate in this final return for Christ, uh, final return of Christ. Um, and and I've told you before. I've told you know stories before that certainly growing up in the Bible Belt of my youth, and if you drive through certain parts of this uh, this country, um, there are billboards and revivals and and religious uh, groups working with youth that really try to show them the violence in these books to try to persuade them to believe in Christ. Uh, uh, mainly through fear and, and just the threat of judgment. There's plenty of material in there for them to work with. It's not like they have to make that up from, from this, these books. What is different about that from, from my understanding of this literature, which I, I happen to like and I have preached from it from time to time, is that the most important thing to understand about this literature, and, and we'll see it in the text in a minute, is that it is basically written to people of faith who are in situations of persecution, either imprisoned for their faith or literally, you know, being persecuted or a part of a community that's under the threat of persecution. And the, the purpose of it is to show in visionary graphic, um, symbolic ways that God is ultimately in control of the universe and ultimately in control of history. And therefore they can have hope no matter how dire the circumstances can be. Um, This uh, I have often used and and will use again today um, that for the people that Kurt visits in prison or tries to visit in prison, uh, people in POW camps, people in, that are literally, you know, prisoners of persecution. If, if you were in that situation trying to endure and survive, what might lift your heart is a, is a, is a vision from God, a promise from God that that your suffering was worth it, that in the end God was going to be vindicated and that right was going to prevail, and that if you will just hang on, you'll be vindicated. And, and that's, a, that's essentially what this literature is trying to do through the dramatic storytelling that's involved, the dreamlike character of it, because it, the, the book of Revelation is a vision that is given to John when he is being persecuted. And, and again, I'll show that in, in a minute. Um, in Revelation, uh, apocalyptic literature is about, well, is about a promised future in which God's reign of justice comes. And it comes from the outside. It comes from God. And the justice involves literally, you know, punishment for those who have been wrong, for the persecutors. Uh, and it involves the gift of paradise for the faithful
1: um
0: apocalyptic literature in in both the old and new testaments and outside of of the bible basically believes that that the universe involves a cosmic struggle co- cosmic meaning in the universe in the heavens uh, between the forces of good and the forces of evil um he believes that the present age of suffering will end when God intervenes and inaugurates a new age of peace and joy for God's people, and it is something that has to come from the outside. Humans are not capable of, of bringing in this this new age ourself, ourselves. Apocalyptic literature uses images and symbols that are difficult for later readers to understand. Um, There is a heavy use of codes and numerology. And often because those that was coded language, just like in, uh, you know, in in the Antebellum South, uh, some of the spirituals were coded languages about prison, you know, about escapes from slavery, swing low, sweet chariot, much of this language is coded, just like POWs tapping on their, uh, you know, on their bars to communicate, or their walls to communicate with other POWs. And it's very hard to translate that into our understanding, you know, to decode that. And much of the popular literature spends a lot of time trying to decode it and trying to to draw parallels between the codes that that they think they've uncovered in in contemporary events. Um, Apocalyptic literature is pessimistic about the current world order. The intervention from God is the only solution. But it gives readers security and hope because the promise and the vision is that God is ultimately going to prevail. Uh, And again, it's often written from and to People who are being persecuted, um, but because it's got coded language and because it promises God's vindication and the vindication of the reader, as well as justice or retribution to be done to the to the uh, to the persecutors, it is very easy to see why it can be used or is used to try to make exact predictions. Of, of when Christ will return or when the day of the Lord will happen because it is in many ways future oriented, but, but the future is about God's vindication, not about trying to equate the when and the where and, and, and and the how, I guess. Um, so let's turn to the text and, and look at uh, if you'll, or I'll just note in, in fact, when we do the first story, I'm just going to do it this way. Um, the the last thing I want yeah, the last thing I want to do by way of introduction is um, is on the top of my page four where it says uh, Brevard Childs' comments on Revelation. Um, and I and I think that this might help us as we go through this today. Um, the writer of Revelation sought to encourage first century Christians who were facing grave persecutions under the Roman state, um, with reference to to God's great eschatological ultimate plan for the church and the world. Um, the, it is directed at the contemporary community of faith as a hopeful word for the future. Um, and, and this statement jumped out to me today as I was reviewing this right there in the middle. It says, when the church has been taxed, to its uttermost limit, the kingdom of God is ushered in with the coming of the son of man. And I, you know, I was, what I was thinking about is that I, I don't think it's fair to say right now that the church, at least in our culture, is taxed to its uttermost limit. But we are clearly in a situation that we have never been in before, you know, as as individuals, as believers, and really as as an established religious tradition in America. And it remains to be seen, you know, what that situation is going to be in six months or two months or what impact it's had, had on us in, in six years. Um, but it, you know, in Childs' words, um, Childs, Childs essentially has in, in the chapter that we're going to look at on the dragon and, and the woman, uh, in Child's view in Revelation, there is this victory that has occurred in heaven where God has prevailed, but on earth it's still being fought out. It has not yet fully uh, come, you know, on, on the level of earth, just like the, the dragons defeated in heaven, but is thrown down to earth and still makes mischief and suffering. Um, in a sense, um, that is a message of hope for... The cosmos in which we live, in which there is still natural disaster and earthquake and tsunami and these gut-wrenching, you know, natural disasters that kill thousands of people and, and rip our hearts from us. Um, there are false prophets. There are false leaders and dictators and tyrants who are claiming the truth and and, and making mischief, to use the word, um, and you know, there, there's just a sense in which we're in a fragile state now. I mean, we're somewhere between a natural and a human disaster, but it's a disaster that's really wrecking havoc and really changing our lives radically. And, and part of the thing to take to this book is just how, you know, is there a word of hope and promise and revelation for us in this, you know, in this current situation? I've never taught it before where we're actually – Prevented from gathering for worship, you know, never had that experience before, but here we're teaching revelation and we're prevented from gathering for worship. Um, but Childs will also say that in human, that, that in, uh, on the earth, <laughs> you know, this victory is had in heaven, but now that we live on earth, that human time is taken seriously, that Christ's life death and resurrection are a source of the major encouragement that we have as we live on earth uh, in this situation. And that because of the slain lamb, which is one of the chapters we're going to look at, the ancient enemies of the church have been robbed of their independent or the fullness of their power, and they are made to play subordinate roles within God's plan. It is clear to me that, that uh, that one of the messages of Revelation is that the fate of the universe is ultimately in God's hands and that any powers of evil, whether it's dragons or angels or vampires or coronavirus or whatever, are, are not going to prevail over God, that they are, that they are players beneath God, independent players beneath God, but will not have the power to, to overcome Him. So, uh, let me just, if, if you've got a question or a comment you'd like to make, please unmute yourself and share it. Okay, I'm hearing none, so we're going to go on. There's enough material to cover that I don't have to try to pull it out of you today. Not that I usually do. So, so let's start by, by reading a Revelation 1, 1 to 8. And, um, I want to, yeah, I want to follow my time frame here to try to do this somewhat quickly, but lead you through. I've got seven readings that that were marked on your handout that I want us to go through today, and they are all printed out in your hand handout. And I've even italicized them and given you verse numbers, so maybe we can can go through them a little bit quickly. But this is how the book the book begins. the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is promised to be a revelation, which God gave Christ to show his servants what must to soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to everything that he saw. So we're told that this is a revelation from Christ to John via an angel. Uh, and it begins in worship. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and keep them, for the time is near. The time of Christ's return is near. And then we have um, John sending a letter to seven churches that are established in Asia. And that kind of dominates about the first three or four chapters um, but John is sharing this vision with these other christian communities that are that are equally besieged. Um, grace to you in peace from him who wa- who is and who was and who is to come. that is a theme of this book of the vision and what that shows is that again god is above all time. who is and was And is to come. That even time is under God. Um, From the seven spirits who are before the throne. From Jesus Christ. The faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead. And again the rulers. The ruler of the kings of the earth. That even the kings of the earth. Who may be persecuting you. Are beneath Christ. That Christ is their ruler. And then he breaks into worship. To him who loves us. And freed us from sins by his blood made us a kingdom of priests, serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There is much music in Revelation. There is much praise and glory in Revelation because even in persecution, ultimately, the instinct is to worship. Um, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, And on his account, all of the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be, amen. Then I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The book begins with this statement of strength and worship on the part of God. And that look, he is coming with the clouds, is a direct sort of link with Daniel 7 and the vision of the Son of Man, the one who comes um, comes on the clouds that is the one title jesus referred to himself as in, as himself being um then he continues with nine to 20 and uh, this is where we really get the setting of the book and uh, and um I want to particularly pay attention to this first paragraph because of the persecution setting. These are John's words now as he writes the book. I, John, your brother, your fellow Christian, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance. And that is almost in summary um, the purpose of the book is to yes, we are being persecuted, we are being persecuted in the name of the kingdom of God, and we are enduring, and we share this I mean that's what's going on in in this book and then he says, "I was on the island called Patmos. Why? Not because of a traffic ticket, not because of a bank robbery but because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. Now, when we hear Patmos, that just goes over our head as absolutely meaningless. Patmos was the place. It was an Island where political and religious prisoners were sent. The readers would have heard Patmos and known exactly what he was talking about. Um, and, and again, that is the way that the book opens. That's the way the author is setting it. And and then he is saying, write in a book what you see and send it to these seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He's writing these vision and he's wanting it shared with these seven churches. Now, each of these letters is then printed in these next couple of chapters. And they're really interesting. I've, I've actually done, you know, a sermon, a couple of sermon series on these way, way back. Um, because they follow a pattern and the basic pattern is, um, involves a critique of each of the churches. I mean, he says, I know you're good people. You go to Sunday school, you give your offering, rah, 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 but this is what I know about you and And so, I want you to listen to that pattern in in this that that I read to you now, starting at verse twelve. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lamp stands. the seven lamp stands were for the church i at seventeen when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but placed his right hand on me, saying do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. I have the keys of death and of Hades. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, these stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then in the next Thing I have is one of these letters. This is the letter uh, to Laodicea, and and so you know again, it's a typical letter. He is writing to this very small besieged, persecuted congregation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is not the most pastoral and encouraging word to a church that's being persecuted. Now why? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What is, what's part of this pattern is a condemnation for a practice they have. In this instance of relying upon their riches. And yet, I mean, it's a strong condemnation. This is from an angel visiting. Um, and yet an opportunity to repent at the end. It's a prophetic message and the, and the message to each of these churches follows that pattern. Um, so even as they are in persecution, there's still this very strong call to repent, you know, and to be faithful and to be disciplined. One of the neat things about this one is uh, where it says, you know, I, I want to buy salve for your eyes uh, so I can anoint your eyes so that you might see the source of wealth in Laodicea was the salve factory. It was the Vaseline factory. It was a city known for that, uh, you know, for producing that and gaining wealth from that. So he's like taking, saying, give me the real salve for your eyes so that you can really see what matters and not just that stuff you manufacture and sell and become rich by. So that's just, that's kind of a little aside there. Um, The next thing I want to go to then is chapter five. Um, The next reading is longer. It is a vision of the Lamb. And this is, uh, you'll see, we're going to do the lamb and the and the woman and the dragon, I think, and then probably stop for questions and take a break and then come back and see the last two. Um, when you think about what you know from the New Testament, and those of you who who have taken Old Testament know how significant the symbol of the Lamb of God is, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all the way back to the sacrifice of Isaac. And of just the sacrifice of the Lamb on the altar. And the equation of Christ being the sacrificial Lamb. Christ is the Lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. Um, What this chapter 5 is, is a vision of the Lamb being slaughtered and yet... Because of that death, emerges victorious. So it is a it is very much tied to the pattern of Christ's life, death, resurrection. And this and one of the one of the big concepts we get in Christianity about, uh, you know, that Christ conquers through weakness, through death, through suffering, through sacrifice. That he's victorious through these is is expounded here in, you know, in a really strong term. So just sort of listen. I mean, you can follow along and listen, but, but you'll see that theme here. And this is a little bit longer reading. Uh, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll written on the inside, and on its back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open up the scroll and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open up the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open up the scroll or look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. A lamb is Not a sheep, a lamb is new, wobbly, standing as if it had been slaughtered. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. He, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense. This was quite a dream which are the prayers of the saints, and they sing a new song. And this song will be familiar to you. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God. Saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be kingdoms, a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on the earth. This whole concept of, the, of Christ being sacrificed, dying, sacrificial lamb, the blood, the ransoming, it is, it is that weakness that makes him worthy uniquely worthy to open up the scroll and draws to him representatives of the universal human community, every tribe, language, people, and nation to become a kingdom of priests serving our God. And they will reign. They will be victorious on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered, to receive power and wealth and blessing and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, the entire cosmos, every creature, and in the sea and all that is in them, singing, singing, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, the blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And all the elders bowed down and worshiped. Again, very wild stuff, okay? I mean, it's wild beyond our imagination. If you had a dream like this or a vision like this, you would call your psychiatrist, the very next morning and go every day for 17 weeks in a row to try to figure it out. But at the heart of this is promise and hope and vindication through this tiny little lamb that is slaughtered and suffers. And and that's the equation, the equation with Christ. And, and that is what happens, you know, to use child's thing. That is what happens in heaven. That's a vision of the heavenly throne. That's a vision of what's going up of what's going on in heaven. And then the next reading, and then we'll then we'll take a break, um, is this wild chapter of the woman and the dragon. I must admit, I have never preached on this book, on this chapter. I have never heard it preached on. I can't imagine anybody breaching on this, but maybe someday I'll do that. Just uh, um, but this is much more in, or on Earth, okay? Um, so I think Carrie is fixing a peanut butter sandwich. Carrie,
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> not fixing one. Sorry about
0: that. That's okay. Just go ahead and mute yourself. We'll go back. All right. So now I gotta. It does, it does, uh, the name appears up here when somebody's unmuted and making noise. So I'm not trying to call Carrie out, but anyway. So now we're at the woman and the dragon and this is, this is something that's going to start in heaven and then bring suffering on earth. So you got to keep these two dimensions going. All right. And, and again, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read this and try to read it with, with some degree of the drama that's here. Um, a great portent appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs, in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for a thousand two hundred and sixty days. It's wild. It's wild. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated. And there was no longer any place for the dragon or his angels in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent. He was called the devil and Satan, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and all of his angels were thrown down there with him that I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down who accused them day and night before God. But they have conquered him again. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony." For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. This is martyrdom, the concept that martyrdom conquers because they did not give up their faith. Rejoice then, you heavens, and those who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings for the great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. And then from his mouth, the serpent poured water like a river after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Allah Noah, but the earth came to the rescue of the woman. It opened its mouth and it swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Nobody's saying anything. Unmute. Oh, okay, this is the word Thanks of the Lord. Be to God. Okay. Thank you. Spity now, God, Larry. what on earth does it mean? <laughs> Why well, i keep keep trying you trying
3: to tell that the word of
0: God? Yeah, of the Lord. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. Now I've muted you, and I do want you to speak up. You have listened to this for about 35 minutes straight. You're all still standing, as far as I can tell. What on earth do you make of this? What questions do you have? What comments do you have? Larry. Yes, Dana. When I
4: think of the books of the Bible, the books that are not in the Bible, and then this one, I pause. I, I can understand why you haven't heard sermons from this. When Judith and I sat down with this, I said I've never read that book. And you know what? I did not prepare for class. Okay. Still haven't read it.
5: Okay. Hey Larry, Larry, this is Kurt. Yes, Curtis. I've taken the opposite view, actually. Uh I respect Dana's viewpoint, but I think it's a very important book because this struggle between good and evil happens every single day. And fortunately or unfortunately for me, I've witnessed it many times. In lots of different places. And to think that this is not, this battle is not going on on our earth right now every day. It just doesn't take that form. But yeah. the form, the form that they used in the book, you know, is, is obviously meant to be dramatic and use different things. But I truly believe this battle goes on every day and what it does provide hope. And I can tell you that my, uh, my guys that are serving life sentences and on death row look at this and Can very much relate to it, and the promise of "Hey, if I hang in there, I will be delivered eventually." That keeps them going. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And that's that's
0: a setting for it. I mean, that's a setting very close to which it was was written. So, other comments. Judy's got to stand up and stretch. (laughs) It's done or in. What's that?
4: I. I had a I had a comment oh,
0: page, it really just, okay.
4: It's just sort of a um it's been on my mind through the week reading this. Um the text is 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 coming up next when it talks about you know when the thousand years are ended and Satan yeah. will be released and you know we just think about you know all the crazy things that are happening with um the pandemic and all the crazy weather we've been having all over the globe. And and I don't say it with fear or anxiety particularly, but, you know, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, are we there?
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
6: Larry, has anybody, it's Marianne.
0: Oh, Marianne, okay, good.
6: Any has has anybody you know, ever, like, interpreted the woman as,
0: as Mary? There, don't need to mute yourselves, okay, Ted and Paige? Yeah, thanks. Okay, Mary Ann, go ahead.
6: Has anybody ever interpreted the woman as Mary, the mother of Jesus?
0: Well, I think it's very, that that's sort of a very obvious parallel, yes. So I'm assuming that they have.
7: Okay. Um, and then, um I'll look at you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's where Mary gets some of her superpowers when is this passage they point to that.
0: Who does that? The okay. Catholics. The Catholics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the Catholics I mean I think clearly the child here is equated with, with Christ. Right. The Redeemer. And the immediate opposition to him, the immediate attempt to get rid of him. You know, almost more Mary Ann more gained more focused on the mother, you know, than on, on the child, but it's,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, it's,
6: I think I see it as a powerful um, advocate of the power of women here. I mean, yeah. I just do, you know, in its own way, whether it be Mary or, or even in a way,
8: Eve.
0: Mm-hmm.
8: So Larry, this is Carol. Yes, Carol. I think any, I think that hopefully most people in the world live with some kind of moral code, an ethical code, whether it's bound in a, a particular religion or or not. And um, I think that the one of I think the the fundamental characteristic of any moral and ethical code is And it's probably the most important is the belief that the good shall prevail.
9: Yeah.
8: And the weak and the abused shall prevail. And those who are not good or bad, those who are, you know, abuse the abusers will, will not prevail. I mean, it's just like, it's just so fundamental to I think our core um, and I think this you know Christianity being I guess now one of the major if not the most prevalent religion in the world. I'm not sure how many more people are Christian or Muslim in the world today um, it it's just one it's just I, to me it's just a it's a, a, a moral code that. Certain people decided to adopt um, rather than rather than others. Um, so I, I go back to what Kurt says: um, whether it's t- in the presence teaching the Bible, in the New Testament, or if it's teaching some other moral code, there's 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 got to be these moral codes, and I'm not sure that any of us should sit in judgment about what one's best or not. There's problems with probably each one. I mean, being Jewish, the problem again with Revelation is, but maybe historically accurate that there were problems between the Jews and the Christians Mm and the Jews at that time. And I don't really know the history. I'm actually now reading The New Testament really want to take a history class.
6: Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
8: Yeah. I mean, I think that this is what it is. And to me, it has issues with it, how it's being done in the New Testament. I also had a lot of issues how it was being done in the Old Testament. I don't think more or less issues with either one, but, um, I feel really grateful that at least I feel the majority of people in the world still live by a moral ethical code, whose fundamental principle is that the good should prevail in the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely the message. And will I will promise in the in the next class in the next uh, segment of the class we get to the more beautiful aspects of that. You, you know, in the book because there's really beautiful language in this book too. It's not all all destruction. Uh, as it is here so anybody else want to say anything yes Chad, yeah.
10: one of the things that kind of struck me when i read this was i didn't really uh maybe appreciate the whole idea that this struggle between good and evil started in heaven yeah and that uh it as it says the war broke out and uh, they vanquished the devil and so he went to the next place which was what God created and see if he could try, try it again. And to me, that it speaks, it speaks volumes to say all the things that we're facing, God has faced.
0: In the yeah. Past. yeah. And, and this is very consistent. The, the book of revelation is tied to the gospel of John. It came out of the same movement and school and, and the gospel of John if you'll recall, has a very two-level uh, depiction of, of reality. Um, in, the, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God way up here, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's really consistent that um, that there's a victory in heaven that has been accomplished and that we await to participate in. But if you know it's there, it's a source of hope.
3: And hey, Larry, yes,
0: um, Wayne, and yeah, um,
3: Terry brought this out, but it, it's very apparent to me, and and, and this was John's, uh, where John was going with this, that the world now has become good or evil. It's, it appears that there is a a very well defined line at this point. You know, every day the world, we live in a world that's gray. You know, people are tempted to do certain things, but they may be on the whole very good people. but it appears that at the time that revolution is talking about it 's a time where you have to choose one or the other yeah um, and 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 so there's a, a very strong dividing line, um, and so you're, you're, you're seeing people now having to make a choice um, and and, and i 've told this to you before, but I feel that as time goes on. These themes, I call them themes, that latent feelings of spirituality in us, I, I'm thinking of Kurt, where, where people in prison have to have to consider what is good and evil and, and the deeds that they have done. I think more and more, this will become apparent to people during these times of the, use the word the end game, um, and they'll become clearer. Much clearer than what we're seeing right now, and yeah. I don't think there will be any room for speculation. I think people will know what 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 the book is talking about at that point. Yeah,
0: yeah. There are there are heightened times of choice, and there are times in which we sort of leisurely mm-hmm. go along. And and this is definitely mm-hmm. a heightened time of choice. Let me recognize Janet, and then we'll take our break after after Janet Harris. Go ahead and unmute yourself. I've got you. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. We can't hear you, Janet.
11: Can you hear me now? There you
0: go. Yeah, there you go.
11: This goes back to the first reading um, when John was speaking to the seven churches in Asia. Yeah. And he says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was. And who is to come? And here's my question. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, is that intended to mean the seven churches?
0: Yeah, I think. In,
11: or something in else. If it's something else, I
0: couldn't figure who no, were these seven spirits. I think the depiction is there's a spirit for each church. Okay. it. it again, in a heavenly council. So one of the things that I'll, I'll close on this and then truly give you a break, which we all need after reading half of this is, um, you know, we, especially in Washington, we are people who are used to white papers. I mean, we live in prose and we live in analysis and we live out of the head and we live in, uh, you know, linear thinking often. And, uh, None of that applies here. I mean, this is like, you know, extremely imagistic, extremely poetic, extremely visionary. Uh, um, and it is, I mean, it is like, I mean, somebody said, you know, the writer of this must have been taking LSD one time. Yeah. Just, it's just crazy. Oh. And, you know, part of what our adjustment is, is whoa, you know, uh, and, and, but, but again, it's, it's, it's literature. It's not the book of Proverbs. It's the book of Revelation, but the Bible has all of these in it. And, and that's, a, that's part of its beauty. So let's take, it's 501. Let's be back in place and ready to pick up at 510. Okay. In nine minutes. So thank y'all. I'll mute everybody and take a break.
9: Harry, yes. can you hear me?
0: I can hear.
2: Um, You know, there was a lot in the Old Testament about people having very, especially the prophets, you know, all these um, things that we wouldn't think, you know, um, I can't remember any specific one, but the imagery was very, for a lot of the prophets, they had some pretty way out,
9: you oh, know. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's
2: just yeah, I think it's it's to me it seems like, you know, those kinds of things just happen,
0: yeah, it, it's a part happen
2: to people that are, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean you're right on that. So uh
2: I think we probably just don't notice it from the New Testament, but in the all the prophets had a lot of things happen yeah, to them when yeah. they go into trances in the old testament quite yeah.
1: often. So, alright. Thanks, Gail.
4: No problem. Larry.
0: Yes, Dana.
4: <laughs> I'd like to apologize for my comment.
0: You, you don't need to.
4: Well, I, I, I do because I, for, there are several reasons. Number one, uh, I appreciate the work that you have put into this class and, uh, I, 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 I it was wrong, but let me tell you where it comes from, not but for the apology. The apology is sincere and would like, would like it to stand as is. As a minister's kid, I have so often, uh, been asked things to, uh, to, to, to uh, justify something or whatever. And, uh, this is where, uh, it's just gone over my head. And that's yeah. when I have resorted to saying, you know, things, you know, I'm a red letter Christian or I just don't know. And, and then if I say I don't accept a part of the Bible, then of course you know what's next. And, uh, the other thing is, um, when I think of the number of, I'm going to say women, there have been many, many of both, uh, sex, but, the number of women that have been uh called witches and whatnot yeah. their different uh uh spiritual healings or whatever that uh and then the whole idea of the 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 good and the evil, and when i'm seeing that in this world the tribalism that we face
9: yeah
4: so i i uh it, it comes from a very very lazy mind uh Larry. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's where, that's where I am, but I, I, I do apologize wow. and I have enjoyed this class and prepared or not, I, I certainly wanted to attend.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Well, we'll, we'll come back and circle, circle back on this at the end. Okay. So, hey,
10: can I, this is Terry. I just want to say one thing. Also being a preacher's kid, uh, I, I was, was basically, uh, religious by osmosis, which <laughs> meant when I was a teenager, I was rebelling against everything, not only my relationship with my father, but also my religion.
0: Yeah. Terry, I can't imagine you ever being rebellious. I've always only known you as a straight laced accountant, but you know, you were about fifty when I met you, so
10: Yeah, that's right. But everybody knows that the preacher's kids are the ones that are right. always smiling because you're getting away with murder.
1: I know. So, <laughs> so Larry, um yes. I I just uh I'm going to It's Roger.
0: Yes, Roger. Okay.
1: Um I just wanted to back up a little bit to this um the dragon battle right heaven and now on earth um where evil is present but it's not present in heaven. Mm.
3: Um
1: And predestination. And does, is God all powerful that he can come over, overcome any evil? Or has he predestined in saying that evil is going to occur so severely that it's not a battle that I can save, therefore I'm saving Marilyn but not Roger? Um, Oh man.
0: I'm not sure predestination has a part of this okay okay uh i I do think the book is going to ultimately say that God will triumph over evil and has the power
1: over every evil, yeah,
0: but it is definitely a book that takes evil seriously and and that's where I'm sort of with Kurt on this, but I think you, you know since we're starting in what i'll what I'll say about it is that. I am also a Neburian, and this speaks to Dana's comments about tribalism. Um, it is when we start thinking that we know who's evil and who's not, and it's usually that we are not and they are, that we get in trouble. And I think that I think the great contribution that Ronald Nebrer made to us was to. You know, was to cause us to look at ourselves and realize that, that we too are part of evil. Yeah. That that we're not exempt from it. And, and that's where you get a humility that can address our tribalism and that is beyond this literature. I mean, this, again, this is, this is fighting, these are fighting words, you know, and fighting images. Can I,
8: can I, hey Larry, this is Stephanie. Can I just say something in answer
4: to
0: that?
8: I mean, one of the things I
4: loved about Revelations, which I've never read before, is that all of John of Patmos's prophecies ultimately were disproven. And a couple hundred years later, Rome becomes Christian. So the Roman yeah. uh, <laughs> evil here, all the symbols, the seven hills of Rome, the seven everything, all of that goes by the wayside within a few hundred years. I found yeah. that fascinating, the historical parallels
12: in there so this this didn't happen the
0: good versus evil
12: on that yeah Larry can I add something sure sure all right um so what's really interesting to me about this story um is it's parallel to the Indo-Iranian concept of Zoroastrianism um because in Zoroastrianism which is also where Manichaeanism kind of gets its foundations there yeah. is this constant. there's there's a constant conflict within every person between yeah. good people um and there's the concept of Arua Mazda, which is the embodiment of good and light and Ahriman. and the con- and it's it's not necessarily Ahriman doesn't mean darkness it means everything that is not you should probably see me uh sorry um, yeah, so yeah. yes <laughs> so um, Ariman is not necessarily darkness per se. It's the lack of light. So up here is the ideal of Arumazda and what is good. Um, and then there's everything else down here. And those that aren't willing or not actively trying to do good work, good deeds, and good thoughts to reach this level are Ariman or every man. Huh. That's um, interesting. So the concept, the Zoroastrian concept of like tribalism would be down here because yeah. if you're distinguishing between you know, like I'm good, you're bad, Right. Like, I'm only going to protect my – like that's the down here level because you haven't reached the concept of of light. Um, I'm not saying that like that's where Christianity got this thought. I'm not saying that like, – yeah. I'm just saying that like in comparative thought, it has <laughs> similar – uh rationale um, I do want to throw out if we're you know for um, a month from now when we're looking at individuals in the Bible right. I would like to do a study on Saint Michael because he pops <laughs> up he pops okay. up everywhere throughout the Bible, Old Testament new and then you know, <laughs> at the beginning at the beginning and then the end he see Saint Michael and Saint Gabriel seem to be really important. And then there's okay. also there's also a myth within um, Catholic mythology. Um, when Saint Michael casts Satan out of paradise, uh there's the concept of Servium versus non Servium, which is a really cool story that um, I've always I've always loved. It's pretty much Saint Michael saying uh to Satan, um, well Satan saying to God, I refuse to serve. You put, yeah. you put me, a, a, a demigod below mankind and told me to serve mankind. Non servium, I refuse to serve. And then Saint Michael, who told God, please don't make mankind. They're not worth it. Um, says to Satan, you don't have the choice. You don't, you were never given free will. So he cast them out of paradise. Um, and yeah, it's a great story. Hey, Nate. Hey. Who's that? It's Ted. Hey Ted.
1: And the movie Michael was great too. <laughs>
12: the movie Michael? Y'all,
0: yes. okay, yeah, y'all are getting way far afield from me here.
12: Wait, but
6: Larry? Yes. This is Colleen.
0: Colleen, okay.
6: I want to say something.
0: <laughs> okay, go ahead.
9: I'm
6: sorry, I'm sorry to hear no, this, you know, taking you know, making it, well, it's her it's her prerogative to, to apologize. But I felt, wow, because that kind of validated the struggles that I had trying to get through this book. Yeah, regularly. it's tough. And she said she didn't read it. I struggled with whether I was even going to attend class, and I've attended all the classes. And the thing that um, this whole class has been very, very difficult for me, I think the book is geared towards seminary students I love it I love the challenge I'm just saying so I find myself with a very intellectual book and witness Nat's comments just now right like a seminary student and then the highly educated and totally different background that a lot of your congregational parishioners have yeah you know being raised in the church from a young age and I'm you know I like straddle between the many, many people who don't even go to church. Yeah. And you know, so I'm kind of like very drawn to church, but I don't have the background. And I wonder again. I mean, for me, it's an ongoing struggle because I found a little free book in the um, Arlington has these little house libraries by Wayne Dyer. Yeah. He's, he was he's passed on, but he was a psychologist very popular on the West Coast. And he talks a lot about intentions, you know, and having a positive attitude and setting goals and not allowing, like, negative thoughts. So there's, you know, the Bible has, like, one direction. And then there's mental health and psychologists and neurologists studying the importance of the mind. So there's really just a lot of, you know, I think Nat was saying something about in every person there's these conflicts. Yeah. I feel like I'm having them all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you are. That's why, oh, no. so, that's why you're so lively and we look up. Well,
6: well no, I'm not. I feel very dampered down in this class because it's hard for me to talk, but I, I just love the fact that I've gotten through both of your classes.
9: You have. You've done And
6: great. I, and I do read the Bible now. I know. Years before, I did not, I mean I don't read it every night, but I read it. So it's like every time I hear your classes, it's like more will be revealed. Right. So I'm glad it's a I,
0: never it, it it. I mean, you well, the Bible is never ending in terms of what it can call up in us. And
6: and, and, and like in AA, because I've gone to that for other the other yeah. programs besides alcoholism. They they say you know take what you like and leave the rest. There's yeah. a lot of good in the Bible, you know, a lot of bloody stuff, but there's a lot of good kind of light, spiritual stuff, and trying to read Revelations, I thought, oh my gosh, I've never liked, um, what is it, science fiction?
0: Yeah, I don't either, but I love this stuff, sort of. You
6: do, you do. (laughs) I do. So, so the minute you start talking, I thought, boy, I'm really glad I came, because it's you, like, shed light on it. You give it your well, literary you.
0: impression. Thank you. Anyway, a, thank
6: you. Sorry uh, if I've talked It, too it is
0: very good that the New Testament doesn't begin with Revelation because nobody would come back <laughs> be a very short class. <laughs> so, but I, right. I, I do think, and, and just to, I mean, I'm glad for all of this sharing, and just to comment a little bit on, on what Nate has said, um, if, apart from what your religious belief is or isn't, just just pull that out for a minute and set it over to, to the side. A book like Revelation, as, as is the whole Bible, as are, are all you know, religious books and texts, are really talking about or seeking to give meaning to some basic human questions. You know, Where did we come from? What's our purpose? Where are we going? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there beauty in the world? Where does hope come from? And and Christianity has a specific answer to that, and this is part of that answer. And and uh it's um, you know, it, it is the I mean the, the Christian answer to that is is that it is the paradox of the weakness of Christ that is triumphant. That, that is the path to victory. That is the path to hope. And, and that weakness is the, is the giving of self, the losing of life, uh, the, the being willing to give everything. And, and that's behind this wobbly little lamb, you know, is the only one that can open up the scroll. So these are great universal topics and, uh, they are endless and we will all be as uh, lively as Colleen is at her age, if we keep reading and thinking and talking about them and just stay away from shallow TV, you know, read this stuff. <laughs> so, um, so with and,
8: that, um, we, I appreciate Colleen's comments and would love to yeah. hear more of them.
0: Yeah. So, um, so let me walk you through uh, reading number six, which is, is the long one, but I'm going to skip forward on it because we do get into a little bit of, of hope here. And this starts at Revelation 19, 11 and goes to 22, 5. And the last few, I mean, the first few verses of chapter 22 are these gorgeous verses we, we do at funerals all the time, a new heavens and a new earth. So uh, I'm going to mute you and uh, ask you to really look at the italicized um, verses, because I'm going to try to go through it fast enough to to do that. So, um, um, so starting in in 19, there are seven visions of the end, and and these are visions in which the powers of truth are victorious, Our powers of God are victorious. I tried to count the seven, and I actually came up with about nine. So I don't know exactly which vision is which, but but that doesn't really matter They're you know, we'll get through some of the visions. So starting at 1911, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. It's uh rider is called Faithful and True, the knight on the white horse. Uh, and his cloak, I'm going to move forward. Uh, he is called the word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty king of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's the battle hymn of the Republic. The language from here makes its way into the battle hymn of the Republic, which was written in a moment of inspiration very quickly. is is my understanding. Um, Another vision, then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice calling to all the birds that fly in midair. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war on against the rider on the horse, but the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. They were thrown alive into the lake of fire. Verse Our chapter 20, uh, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the bottomless pit in the great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Verse four, then I saw thrones and those seated on them were given the authority to judge. I also saw, and this is a, this is about martyrdom, Christian martyrs. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We've not much worried about that kind of brutality until the last 10 or 12 years when we have seen news of beheadings and brutal killings that has become a part of our consciousness and just the promise of souls being united with Christ for a thousand years who who met that fate verse 7 when the thousand years were ended satan will be released and he will come down to deceive the nations Gog and Magog, in order to gather them for battle. They are as numerous as the sands of the sea. They marched up over the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and consumed them. God's justice prevailing. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it, the earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their words, works as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, death, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and all were judged according to what they had done. the death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And then we get into 21.1, and this is what we read at funerals, what I read a lot at funerals. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, and the, for the first things have passed away. The one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things and I will be their God and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away into a great high mountain and showed me the holy city. Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It is the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It is a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east gate, the north three gates, the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations. On them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length is same as its width. He measured the city of his, with his rod 1,500 miles. It was length and width and height are equal. Yet I saw no temple in the city, down at verse 22. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter or anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, according to its fruit each month. And the leaves are of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing occurs shall be found there any anymore, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then the vision in the letter closes. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophet, has sent his angel to show his servants, which must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed are the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades, the prophets, and those who keep the the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It is I, Jesus, sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches i'm the root and descendant of david the bright morning star the spirit and the bride say come let everyone who hears say come let everyone who is thirsty come let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift i warn anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them God will add to that person the plagues described. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life in the holy city. Those who testified, the one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord God be with all the saints. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to go over these comments on, on your very last page and then, then have time for discussion. I think we're, I think we're doing well uh, with this. And and I think these comments are really, are really helpful. Um, What Brevard Childs points out, especially in this last chapter with the emphasis on the, on the words of the book is there's a consciousness on the part of the writer and the editors. that these words will last and be used in history that that the time probably isn't coming soon, but it's write down the words of the book and follow them um, there There's a sense of canonization there um, and, and notice the just the emphasis on trustworthy and true, keeping the words, don't seal up the words if anyone adds if anyone takes away. The book of Revelation pronounces and enacts the ultimate victory of God so as to energize and encourage each generation of God's people going forward, armed with this book that continues to garner the kind of discussion and perplexity that that you all have had and and voiced earlier today. Uh, Maggie just came in. You want to come say hello? Come say hello. Hello.
6: She's going to do okay. yard work.
0: Hi. <laughs> so,
6: Happy last class, everybody.
0: Right. For a while.
6: He's Thanks, fine. Maggie. Like Thank you very much. Hi, <laughs> Frank. Um, thumbs up? Yeah. Maggie is cleaning. She's got on cleaning. He's board. going
0: out to do yard work. Yeah. So. Oh,
6: okay. That's. Better hey,
0: than did you, you ever see that out. when you lived here?
12: Um. I actually, I often saw both of you out there. What are you talking about?
0: That's right. We, we used to do those things. (laughs) Yeah.
12: You guys, you guys had a compost and everything in the back. Yeah, we
0: did. We did. Cool. Not now. (laughs) Too lazy, but, um, so let me, let me talk about what, um, what child sees in, in the whole book of revelation. And it's something I really, really appreciate and want to leave with you. And then, then us talk, um, in this vision of the end, what we have been reading since the break, and especially since the uh, the new heavens and the new earth, which is such a beautiful passage at funerals, there is continuity. The new heavens and the new earth do not simply replace the heavens and earth in which we live, as though God starts all over. Rather, the world... God's good creation is redeemed and not replaced. God does not make all new things, but God makes all things new. The ultimate city that is described here, Jerusalem, bears the name and the recognizable features of an earthly city. Even though he's describing the end of time, it's it's. It's recognizable as an earthly city. There is a this-worldly location to where this vision ends. After the thousand-year reign on earth, John does not transfer the scene to some heavenly spiritualized world, but rather has the heavenly city in this imagery coming to descend to the renewed earth. Just like at the beginning of the Gospel of John, um, it is it is Christ who descends to earth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, um, and and Christ comes and his, uh, pitches his tent among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Um, this world is the object of the Creator's love. It is ultimately important to God as it is in Genesis 1 and in, and in John 1, which are stream. Genesis 1 of creation, John 1 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And now at the end of Re- the book of Revelation, the world itself is redeemed and renewed, the creation. The kingdom of God in this world is not, however, a matter of human achievement. It's rather an eschatological or final act of God. We do not have the power to redeem the world, but its redemption is is a gift and activity of God. The New Jerusalem is not built Babel-like from the earth up, but rather it comes from God's side as the fulfillment of God's promise and as a demonstration of God's faithfulness and love for all of creation. And finally, I like this part, um, I like this part um, a lot, in that the um, vision of the end is in a city. It is urban. In the biblical story, human history begins in a garden, as we know. And the first city is built by a murderer as a result of human sin. Cain builds the first city. But in this, but the conclusion of this story in Revelation does not nullify human history and seek us to return to the Garden of Eden. Rather, it brings the Garden of Eden into the city, into human civilization that's been created, even created after the fall. A city, and we know this enormously right now, A city represents human community and life together. We are right now deeply aware of how much we're not together, but we're also deeply aware of how dependent we are. It's like I said in the children's sermons today, for everybody to wear a mask. I mean, we are dependent upon our neighbors. We're dependent upon one another to stop this. Um, and you see that more in a city. A city represents human community. It represents life together. Eschatological existence, existence in God's time, is not individualistic, but it is communal. It's not everyone deciding when they get to open their barbershop or stop wearing their mask. I'm sorry, it is communal. life together is communal in God. The church, the community of faith, is the anticipation of this new city. The final picture is true to John's paradoxically dual emphasis throughout the book, and it really is true in the Gospel of John. There are pictures in this last chapter of exclusion. No sinner, Nothing sinful, no fornicators or liars or all that list of things. They're not going to be in the city. They're not going to be there at the end. And yet there are also pictures of transformation and ultimate inclusion of everybody. And this is, this is where I get onto my aspiring universalist kick because I aspire and hope that everyone will be there in the end of revolution, revelation. Gives me hope for that, but it set ba- it set ba- sets boundaries for it. So I want you to listen to this well. The heavenly city is not for the faithful few, but it is inconceivably large. I don't know if you noticed, it said it was 1,500 miles on each side. That's a pretty big town. You're not in Kansas anymore. Um The kings and the nations of the earth will all be drawn to the city. The nations are not only destroyed, but more importantly, they are healed. They walk by God's light and they bring their gifts to God. Every nation. Every dictator. Every genocidal killer, really? a vision that, that they will be healed and they will bring their gifts to God. That is powerful. I can't conceive of it, but I can hope for it. The city has walls and gates that function as boundary markers. To separate insiders from outsiders, from who should be in and who shouldn't be in. But the gates are never closed. This whole ending to me affirms, in addition to all of, all of this, and then, then I'll finish, um, this whole ending to me affirms the value of the incarnation, of God becoming embodied, of the crucifixion of crucified, dead, and buried, as the suffering and self-giving of the body, not just the spirit, but of the body. It affirms the value of the resurrection of the dead as bodily. God's ultimate care and focus is the world, is human beings, gathered in cities, remade in a new heaven, renewed and restored to his image after the fall. I am done. (laughs) Your time. I mean, that. that's...
11: I've got a question, Janet. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can. Go ahead, Janet.
11: I'm confused between the things we've said in the last couple of weeks and today.
0: Okay. Spe- Just remember, you're confused at a higher level.
11: <laughs> and specifically, we were talking in the last couple of weeks about that you are you could do good deeds all day and all night, but that wouldn't necessarily get you to heaven, okay. and that it depended on God's grace. Yeah. Correct? Okay, well then today <laughs> it says, And the dead were judged according to their works, according to what they had done. Right. So that seems contradictory to me. So how are we supposed to know what we're supposed to be doing?
0: <laughs> I think that, I think both of those messages are clearly in the New Testament. And in what I've just read to you from Revelations, it, it, it depicts to me what I've always said before, a God that bends over backwards to include everybody. There are walls, yes. There are gates, but they're open 24 hours a day. But in this heavenly city, you can't just stride in at the last minute having killed millions of people and not cared about it or not been remade, not been recreated. God. Uh, I mean, as much as I want everybody to be saved at the end, I don't want to just throw justice out the window and say it's all a nice, warm, fuzzy thing that we're, you know, we're all included at in the end. There, there is clearly, to me, in in here, a sense that that even the sorcerers and idolaters and fornicators and da 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 that whole list that's repeated a couple of times uh will will be remade or recreated in order to be to be included but but will not be included without some sense of of significant change. So that's why I think it that's why I think it's it's a very beautiful vision of of inclusion, but but it's mixed. There's there's elements of exclusion too. And and I would just go back to you know that's that's in the Old Testament the New Testament. What we do matters. Christ was born as a body, he was crucified as a body, he was raised as a body all in this world. what we do matters but but the door seems to always be open by God, and God always seems to be able to to have and seek and want the power to make
5: all things new Hey, and hey Larry, this is Kurt i well, I, that's the best I, I can do. Okay, Kurt. <laughs> I had the same question that Janet, Sandy and I had the same question that Janet brought up. But kind of the way I thought about it is it depends on your intent. In other words, if you do good deeds just because I want to get to heaven, yeah. that's very selfish. If you do good works because it's the right thing to do, and God taught us to do that, and Jesus taught us to do that, I think that's where I think the, dif- the difference is, the, well, way I, the way I interpret it anyway. That That's a
0: difference. And and the only thing I feel like I'm always, I feel like Kurt makes really good comments, and then I either contradict you or I take them to another level. So I'm going to just say I'm taking it to another level. I th- I think part of the wisdom of the Apostle Paul that we saw is is the acknowledgement, and I would say Niebuhr says this, to that that sometimes even our best intentions, you know, lead us down the wrong path. I mean. The road to hell is paved with good intentions sometimes, and so it's it's not like it's it's not like the the only issue is a gap between our between what we intend. There are also times when we intend the good, but either can't do it or or it turns out for different purposes. But Kurt, I'm basically with you. Okay, so thanks. Thanks. You, hey, Larry. Yes.
3: Well, I love this part too, just like you, I'm, I'm, um, inspired by it. I, I like to think of it. If Wayne, we're
0: having, you're kind of cutting out. Can you get real close to your mic?
3: My apologies. Sorry. Yeah, that's um, better. I, I always think of the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games where you see groups of people come in, um, nations. There's always a person with a sign saying who these people are and a flag. And I like to think of that there will be Groups of people, people we never even knew about that are necessary parts of humanity in the eyes of God. And they will, they will come in at that point yeah. and they will be recognized for what they did in their lifetime. That's cool. If I can indulge in a little vision there, I always like to think of that.
0: That is neat. Yeah. That, that, that opening to the Olympic games, which will hopefully happen in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> But it is one of the most beautiful ceremonies, uh, that exists. And it, and it is sort of future. I mean, you know, you know that some of those young people in that ceremony are virtually slaves in their country. And you know that some of, some of them represent some of the most heinous dictators on, on the planet. And yet everybody is drawn to this sort of heavenly stadium. You know, all together, all the nations of the world are there, carrying their flags, in, in, in and in a beautiful, glorious uh, time—a beautiful, glorious moment in in time for us—that is a picture of what will be an eternity in the Lord's time. Thank you, Wayne. That's cool. That's cool.
8: Larry, this is Carol. Um, I um, I have again issues reading the old testament definitely issues with the new testament and but uh chapter 21 this section is one of the most beautiful things i've ever read in my life yeah it is it made everything so worth it to get to the end and (laughs) incredibly beautiful passage i mean it is just so i can i can i can feel it in my heart so much I have so a question so about Carol that.
0: is a living, breathing example of why you take, what, 27 weeks of Old Testament and 26 weeks of New Testament, because the last 15 minutes of the last class, you get the most beautiful piece of literature you've ever read.
8: But that's true in life, right? A lot of times. Like, that's you know, very
0: Calvinistic, you know, Calvinistic, A
8: beautiful too. piece of artwork on after years of painting something or whatever it is. But, um, but I just wanted to ask you about the 12 gates. Um, with the um, names of the tribes of the Israeliites. is it significant that it was included here? And
9: that what?
8: Well, it says yeah. here in the vision of New Jerusalem that there was twelve gates with the names of the tribes. Well. I, th-
0: I think that all of that is—I mean, Revelation is not just the end of the New Testament; it's the end of the entire Scripture of the Old Testament too. And so it draws a lot of the Old Testament to conclusion. It, it really is a book. Somebody was saying at the break, it's really a book yeah. at this, like a prophet. And one thing I didn't say that's neat is is in the creation story, if you'll remember, there's two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what gets Adam and Eve in trouble and causes all the problems throughout this you know, time we've been looking at. The other one is the tree of life. And in and in the New Testament, after they partake of the of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life just sort of disappears. I mean it comes up once in Proverbs and once in a prophet. But it's just like it doesn't exist anymore. Here it is at the end. It's like the tree of life sprouts again, you know, in this garden that's now brought to a city. And and so it's just, you know, like reaching way, way back into Genesis and Plucking that little forlorn tree of life that's been ignored through this whole book and bringing it back at the end and giving it a prominent place. So, any other well,
8: knowing this, I want to start over from the beginning and do
0: the two three years you again. Yeah, next year we'll start Old Testament, I mean, have you, same time, same such
8: a different meaning to read it again. It does. Yeah.
0: This is about the, it's about the 20, I don't know, 24th or 25th time that I've taught this whole survey, uh, maybe even a little more than that, and it's, a, it's the, I think it's the fourth time I've done this, I think it's the eighth time I've done it, like done the New Testament in a whole year. I think this is the eighth, the fourth cycle of Old Testament one year and just one year. And it, you know, I never, I mean, I can't say I find something new every week, but I would say about at least every second or third week, there's some whole new bubbling up revelation that, that's just great. And so I add it in there and the classes get longer and longer and longer. <laughs> so, but it is, you just never stop. So. Yes, Catherine.
7: Um, I would say I think similar to what a couple of folks were saying, I appreciated there was a note at one of the um, you know in the long footnotes there was a there was a section about violence in in Revelation and different ways to sort of I don't know deal with that cope with that um, and one of the ways that I found really helpful that it um, suggested was sort of remembering that it's meant to be a whole right that this was meant to be kind of Read the whole thing in a service, and that the violence wasn't meant to be um, sort of picked apart and taken separately, but that it's like watching an action movie, and that there's oh. this like rush of 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 violence in these these fast moving scenes, and that 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 leads you to that that tension leads you to the end where everything is all right um And, and that was helpful to me in, in this. And I mean, I think also just in a reminder of that, that so many things in the Bible, we're so used to hearing like the lectionary or a particular verse or, and and it's, and it's important. It has been important to me to think about the whole, the whole book of Revelation, right? Not, not a particular piece of it that seems bananas to me, but the whole thing and what that means. That it's all leading to that last chapter, right? And, um, and the whole of the New Testament and the whole of all these different books. So that was, I, I was glad to read that. And I mean, yeah. the like action movie metaphor was a little funny, but I, but I don't know, it spoke to me, um, and, yeah. and was, and was helpful.
0: And, and science fiction, I mean, it's neither of which I read. I can't follow action movies and I never read science fiction, but, but this, this is that kind of fence fantastical literature and uh i'm sort of a proverbs guy myself but you know this stuff is fun so
13: yes frank it's uh it's interesting how this um this book has been used and um you, know, you brought to light to me uh uh from uh my uh, distant past on the days of of cave paintings uh when um, uh, people and organizations would uh, use the language of, uh, of this book and of others in the Bible to um, seek to exclude people or to uh, seek to suggest that there were things and people beyond the reach of God. Um, it is so assuring and so reassuring that it ends with the notion that God is the one who makes all things new. Yeah. It is not up to me or you to make all things new. He does not make some things new and leave other things to rot. Um, and his ability to uh, to do that, uh, I think, means more and more to me personally, as uh, I sometimes feel I am not... Getting any newer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, uh, his power to, uh, to accomplish that, uh, notwithstanding what we see, uh, notwithstanding what we feel, and notwithstanding what other people do, uh, is, uh, is a source of, of great hope and is one of the many interesting and valuable paradoxes of this faith. Uh, where the weak are strong, uh, where the universe is saved by a baby, uh, where power comes from someone who was crucified and died yeah. and yet rose again. Thank you. That's very eloquent.
0: I want to, uh, I want to just thank you all for, uh, you know, this really, really has been terrific and, and I, I love every class, um, as they go along, but I've certainly never had something happen like this to where we've started together. And and I literally, I think I've told people that, um, to use a somewhat crude metaphor, until about six weeks ago, I thought Zooming was what the bird did when he was coming down to splatter your car. I'd never heard of Zoom before all this. And when this, you know, when we had to shut the church, I just figured that's it for these classes, you know, there's no way to have them, and and that you all were going to be deprived of finishing the great effort that you put in to, to go through what at the time was, you know, about the verse three-fourths of it, so I was thrilled when we, when I learned about Zoom and we were able to do so much online, and I can't tell you how much, uh, it really has been a lot to see you all in here, uh, and part of it, a big big part of it is you 're the only faces that I see from Westminster. if you think about it I you know Maggie and I walk every day and and we see uh, we've probably seen twenty twenty five members on on the on the road at some point in some degree of maskedness or unmaskedness, and I see a session meeting you know once once a month, which is a, a pretty intense Thing, but to get to see you all every week is is really meaningful
5: to me. It has really meant a lot. Uh, I think we owe Larry a round of applause for just a uh, fantastic course. Well, y'all,
2: absolutely.
5: Good job,
1: Larry. And thank you. Hey, Larry.
0: Yay. so thank
1: you thank you he's a tech yeah.
4: guru now and he
1: never knew he well,
0: would I, I don't know that i'm that <laughs> <laughs> i'm still figuring out, i'm supposed to be able to get 49 people in this frame and i can't seem to, to do it all at once but but i do i mean please feel free to sign up for this next one i'll okay. i'll get to sign up out for that in another week or so and uh um, please feel free to invite us. Any friends, uh, it'll be a little bit lighter than this, just because it'll be a one character at a time, but it'll kind of be the same format. And uh, I'm doing it just because I need it, and I think we all need, this is not really, how do you take a summer vacation? You
1: know, (laughs) your
0: your day is going to be the same. until. Mm -hmm. So uh, I really do thank you. And uh, let's just close with a prayer, okay? So. Dear God, we do give you thanks for the complexities and beauty of your word, but almost more than that for the way it brings us together. Be with all of us and uh, help us to continue to learn from this exile that we're in and to continue to pray and look forward to the day of our return. In the name of Christ, amen.
10: amen. Amen. Thank you again. Thank you folks. Good travel.
0: Thank you
4: so much Larry.
10: Thank you Larry.
0: Thank you, thank you.
10: Good travel.
7: I'll see you. Bye
6: bye. Thank you. Thanks Larry. Have a good summer everybody. Thank you. Glad I attended.
0: Yeah, thanks Colleen. (laughs) Bye (laughs) bye. Hey Larry. Thank you Nate. Bye.
12: Uh, my, my mom has asked if she can join the next class.
0: Sure. Yeah. So
12: I'll I'll send her I'll send her the stuff and I'll send uh Annalisa the stuff as well.
0: Yeah, anybody can. I mean that's the thing about Zoom now is you can get people, you
12: know oh my We've
0: got people from about thirty five states watching our WhatsApp service.
12: Yeah, so I, I I know that she's been she's been watching the stuff that's put on online. I um, mean she listens to this to the service she was yeah. listening to the services before. But when she tried to join one of these classes she wasn't on a, like a she put in her, her email and it said that she wasn't invited. So I was like, well, yeah, no, you get come.
1: sorry.
0: Yeah. And that part of that's one of our early experiences is one of the women's circles or something got, got porno bombed, you know, doing this. So it, it's a pretty thing to, you know, that's why you need to sign up for it. But yeah, you will send me her email. Then I'll invite her, see. Okay.
12: I guess we could have done that earlier, I just yeah. Alright, well. Alright, thank you
0: everybody. Good night.
12: Thank you.
0: David, Bye. And Beth, I, I never got a report. How's your dog?
6: Well, he was in my lap for part of the time, which is why I was squirming around so much. Um, okay. He's here. He's kind of like David. He can do a lot, but he can't do everything. <laughs>
0: But don't underestimate him. Okay, yeah. I'm Simply glad he lived.
6: David, Who's fat,
0: the dog or me? Right. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
9: All right. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> Bye-bye.
6: Bye-bye. Bye
9: bye. Bye bye.
4: Bye.